0: The Grand Cedillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Hello and welcome. My name is Rick Gibson. I'm the Associate Vice President for Public Affairs here at Pepperdine University. I'd like to welcome you to our third podcast in the Dean's Executive Leadership Series, I'm joined today by Dr. Linda Livingstone, who's the dean of the Grazadio School of Business and Management.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here today, Rick. Well,
0: we're here again for our dean's executive leadership series. Uh, tell us a little bit about the series and uh, and who some of the guests have been so far.
1: Wonderful. We have been doing the series for several years, bringing in top business leaders, uh, executives, authors, to really inform our community, alumni, students, uh, faculty, and friends about what's going on in business. And it's been a fascinating experience. We uh, just had Brian Franz, president of Disney ABC Television, earlier this year, as well as Patty Sellers, editor-at-large of Fortune Magazine. Uh, We've also had individuals like Ted Waite, the CEO and founder of Gateway Computers. So it's been a very diverse and interesting group of individuals.
0: Yeah, very impressive lineup. And what's been exciting is that we've been able to actually bring some of these guests together to sit down and have an interview with you. And uh, today we're going to talk to Dennis Tito. Tell us about Dennis.
1: Dennis is a fascinating individual. He is the CEO of Wilshire Associates, Incorporated, and uh, as CEO of Wilshire Associates, he really helped develop the field of quantitative analytics, which is using mathematical tools to do market analysis. And so in the conversation, he shares with us some of that experience and how that developed. But beyond that, he's also very fascinating because he was the first individual to pay to travel in space with the Russian cosmonauts. And so in addition to what we learn about Wilshire Associates and investments, uh, we also learned some about his experience in space, which is quite fascinating. Yeah,
0: very interesting, uh, very interesting person. Well, let's listen in now to uh, this interview with Dennis Tito, CEO of Wilshire Associates Incorporated.
1: Well, it's my pleasure today to have with us Dennis Tito, who is the CEO of Wilshire Associates, and also uh, probably something most of you uh, have heard about Mr. Tito is that he was the first paying traveler in space when he went up with uh, the Soyuz spacecraft and the Russian crew to the International Space Station. So Dennis, it is a pleasure to have you with us today for this podcast.
2: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, I just want to take a few minutes to touch base on a a couple of different things. You have such an interesting and diverse uh, life experience. And I want to talk a bit about what you're doing at Wilshire Associates and some of the trends you see there. But also, of course, I know our audience would love to hear a bit more about your space travel. So we might start with the the Wilshire Associates side and then we'll conclude with a discussion on the space travel. Uh, You might just, with a very general question, start out by telling us what, what you see really happening in the economy right now that you're paying very very close attention to uh, in your investment strategies at Wilshire.
2: be happy to. We just get, ended up getting through with our budgeting for 2007, as most people have, and uh, our plan is actually quite optimistic. I spent more time this year working on the plan because I wanted it to be accurate and looked at every aspect of it and let it fall the way it uh, was going to fall and it came out actually quite positive so i am very optimistic uh, about the year i don't let you know little blips in the uh, stock market uh, change my mind
1: well i think that's good for all of us to hear are there any things in particular that are going on that make you optimistic for the coming year
2: well in our business uh, i think the, the most uh, interesting aspect of it is the focus on uh, individual retirement accounts and how that Is growing and how uh, our society really needs to provide better for uh, the aging population, the baby boomers who are retiring. So this represents a very positive market for our firm and we'll be using our technology to provide expertise directly to uh, plan participants.
1: Let's talk a little bit about technology because you and uh, Wilshire Associates have really been from the beginning, very innovative in how you use technology, how you use mathematical analysis to help you be better at making investment choices. Talk some about that and and how that evolved at Wilshire Associates.
2: Well, my whole background started with technology Mm -hmm. uh, in the aerospace industry, which was actually quite sophisticated, uh, even 45 years ago. In terms of use of computers, even some online computers, uh, people don't realize that it actually went back that far. The investment business was not nearly as sophisticated. So our role over the years has been to introduce uh, aerospace engineering to uh, investment people, which we call financial engineering. And we've come a long way in providing them with tools that better allow them to establish Uh, the level of risk in a portfolio and how to better diversify portfolios to minimize risk. So that is always our focus. Get the most return for the least risk.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about some risks that might be out there in the marketplace. Um, you are optimistic, as you said, about the future. But let me. there's two or three specific areas I wanted to ask you about, particularly. Uh, right now, there's a, a, a tremendous amount of foreign investment in U.S. foreign debt and uh, foreign investors coming in and buying U.S. foreign debt. Do you see that as being a risk for the U.S. economy over the long run or an opportunity, or do you see that changing in any way um, in the near term
2: from my perspective this uh, you know this has been an issue that people have talked about for decades and I've heard you know all about the trade deficit uh, going back 30 years ago and uh, I've been around long enough where I find that market markets reach equilibrium and uh, it's a global market and you know we in the United States have uh, certain strengths which we take advantage of and and uh, other countries uh have cheaper labor labor will uh perform different kinds of functions as part of the global economy so i think uh, we're probably as a, as a a global economy more in equilibrium than most people give us credit for
1: interesting perspective speaking of kind of the global economy um emerging markets have been growing uh rapidly and really prepare, propelling investment in commodities and finished goods do you see that continuing or not um in the years ahead or do you uh think this goes back to the comments you just made about uh, feeling good about the, the the long-term growth in the world economy
2: well i think uh, we're going to have more of the emerging markets uh grow and then become you know part of the uh a first world and uh, become integrated we're seeing you know that in eastern europe uh, you know eventually uh, we'll see uh, china and uh, india and russia progress as well as uh, latin american countries
1: a little bit closer to home, we're spending a lot of time in business school and certainly in business uh, thinking about Sarbanes-Oxley and the impact that's having. From your perspective and in, just in terms of the impact on the market, do you feel that, that that is having any kind of a dampening effect on the marketplace or do you think that companies have adapted to that in a way that is um, working for them in the marketplace?
2: Well, I think uh, Sarbanes-Oxley you know, is is, is very burdensome and And uh, to go from not having it to having it was a great adjustment, just like going through Y2K was a great adjustment. But my feeling is that with the technology that we have in terms of databases and software, it's just a matter of time that that we would want to have these tools that are required by Sarbanes-Loxley as part of our everyday management. So I think overall, Sarbanes-Oxley might be considered a headache like Y2K, but I think it's going to benefit us all. And I think people are going to have much more confidence in investing in in corporate America because they'll know that the numbers are right. And many times the numbers are not right, not because of fraud, but because we don't have the correct systems. So I think Sarbanes-Oxley is a good thing. It'll force us to do that.
1: And certainly the public having confidence in the system is a good thing for the marketplace. Sure, sure. Well, let's transition and talk a little bit about that amazing experience you had flying in space. Um, Before we talk specifically about that, talk a bit about just your passion for space and what motivated you to do that. I mean, that's certainly not anything anybody had done before you, and it's an amazing opportunity that you had.
2: Well, it started uh, when I was 17 years old, and uh, at that time, uh, the Russians were the first to launch an artificial satellite called Sputnik, and the whole world was amazed. I I describe it as a technological 9-11. All of a sudden, we found that our biggest adversary had jumped ahead of us in space technology, and being uh, one year before going to university, uh, we heard the the call for more engineers. We were going to have to compete with the Soviet Union, and I jumped on that bandwagon and began college as a student in aerospace engineering, uh, dedicating my life to uh, space and you know a passion for space that I guess began then and has not gone away.
1: So what was it was it like being up in space and uh you know we see the pictures on television when uh, the shuttles up or even earlier in the in the the times that we were flying to the moon and other things what was that experience like actually being on the space station and flying with the cosmonauts
2: Well I'd been following human space flight for uh 40 years prior to that and I dreamt about it all the time this was my goal and uh when I ended up actually uh, going into orbit, that moment in time uh, is an experience that I'll never forget because uh, all of a sudden when you, uh, the rocket an- uh, burns out and the vehicle goes into orbit around the earth, you're suddenly weightless. And you look out the window and you see this uh, curved earth out the window and a black sky And there is nothing like that experience. I will never have an experience like that in life.
1: What was it like being with the Russian cosmonauts? Uh, Was that an interesting learning experience for you for the time that you spent with them?
2: Well, I found the Russian cosmonauts delightful. Uh, I thought they might be more uh, difficult or militaristic because a lot of them came from the military. But it turns out... That uh, as humans, they are just fun-loving, and uh, I had more laughs, and they had more laughs. Uh, they are just uh, were really great people to be with.
1: So what advice would you have for children today that have these grand dreams, whether it's about space or something else, based on the experience you have? What what advice would you give to, to young adults or children and, and the dreams that they have for these uh, grand ideas and experiences?
2: The main advice that I would give is that uh, uh, the best goals are the longer-term goals. It may take decades to achieve those goals and to understand what you really want to do. Most people don't know exactly what they want to do, so they jump from goal to goal and they never uh, focus on any one. The idea is to stay focused. Now, you may temporarily uh, work on another goal, but you should – Be pulling generally in the same direction and always keep the important goals in mind. There may be in your whole life only six major goals that you want to achieve. And it's something you should think about every day and never forget what your goals are.
1: Wonderful advice for all of us, not just for the younger people in the world. One last question as it relates to that and as it relates back to the work you're doing at Wilshire. Um, your early career as an aerospace engineer certainly influenced what you do at Wilshire and, and you brought many of those methodologies and techniques to to Wilshire. Is there anything you learned from this spaceflight experience that you have brought back with you and used um, in your investment business that has been valuable to you?
2: Well, I think the most important thing that this uh, space flight was the ultimate of all my goals. And uh, I waited a long time for it. I was 60 years old when I flew. And you come back and you start asking yourself, uh, what is my next goal? I've just achieved uh, the goal of goals. And I had to do a lot of thinking about that. And it took me actually a couple of years to finally decide that I wanted to go back to my roots and my root roots were with Wilshire. And rather than retiring, because I was reaching retirement age, that I really want to go for another 10 years and I want to take the company that I founded 35 years ago uh, for another 10 years and to even make it more successful. So it was really uh, surpassing uh, one goal with another goal.
1: Well, it's really very inspirational to hear your story just about how you stayed so focused on some very important goals in your life, and then to see how you are so invigorated about uh, where you're going with your business now. And I, we will look forward to watching your success with that over the, the years ahead. Appreciate so much you taking the time to visit with us today, Mr. Tito. And I know that our audience uh, will enjoy very much listening to what you had to say.
2: Thank you very much.
0: That concludes our interview with Dennis Tito. Linda, what a fascinating individual.
1: That was a fascinating interview. It was really a a joy to do that with Dennis, and I hope everyone enjoyed it as much as I did.
0: Well, Linda, tell us uh, who is next in the lineup for the Dean's Executive Leadership Series.
1: On April 10th, we're featuring Bill George, who is the former CEO of Medtronics, and he has written a book called Authentic Leadership, so very much in keeping with our mission of developing value-centered leaders. And then on May 22nd, we have Kawanna Brown, who uh, really works with Magic Johnson Enterprises in Los Angeles, and so two very fascinating and different types of speakers coming up.
0: Well, we look forward to uh, visiting with them and visiting with you again. Thank you very much
1: for joining us today. It's my pleasure.
0: Facing real business challenges head on is what Pepperdine University's fully employed real-world MBA program is all about. Rhonda Hofarth, Chief Operating Officer, Ironclad Incorporated.
2: Even though Ironclad has sold millions of high-performance work gloves worldwide, there are times even we could use a helping hand. That's where the MBA students at Pepperdine come in.
0: From grassroots startups to large corporations, Pepperdine's partner companies provide students with hands-on experience in solving actual live business cases.
2: These Pepperdine MBA students are also working professionals, and they consistently provide our company with innovative ideas, impressive research data, and an excellent potential employment pool.
0: Pepperdine University's prestigious Grazio Dio School of Business and Management, where the real world of business is mastered. To learn more, call 1-800-933-3333. That's 1-800-933-3333.